You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Meals can be powerful. They can be memorable moments. Uh, You guys know there's probably, if you think back of a special meal, maybe it's a a big Thanksgiving or a last meal with a family member, something special. I I have many special meals. I'll share with you two. Um, One was I was dating. I was 15 and dating this girl. Thought she was the woman of my dreams. Uh, I was so excited to, to be dating her, and she invited me over to her parents' house for dinner. Uh, my family, we, we ate very traditional, like there's a thousand different recipes for chicken and that's what we had every meal. It was great. But this, this lady, she came from a very gourmet family, a very fancy family. This lady happens to be my wife, Sarah. So uh, I was excited to get to go on this meal with her and come over to her parents' house. She asked if there's anything that I didn't like to eat and I said, really, there's just two things, mushrooms and pickles. And I thought, I'm going to be clear on that, right? There, there's no way they're going to have mushrooms and pickles. And so I get there, and uh, I'm welcoming into the kitchen, and, and I meet Mr. and Mrs. Doherty. I'd met him before, but I was, you know, terrified. And, uh, and I meet them, and I say, what, what, are you, what are we having for dinner? And he's making an appetizer. Fancy, right? And it turns out it's like this pastry thing. It looks very nice. And inside, I said, what's inside that? A filling of mushrooms. Just chopped up fine mushrooms, a special mushroom appetizer. I was like, seriously? And I got to eat it. It's my first meal, first time I've ever been with them. So I down the appetizer. Main course. What are we going to have? It's on the grill. Oh, great. What's on the grill? Portobello mushrooms. It's like, all right. I'm pretty sure at this point Sarah has told them what are the two things I don't like, and this is intentional. And we have had mushrooms, I have like six different ways that night, was mushrooms. I'm invited to the next week over, and we have a pickle night. At that point, no, we didn't have a pickle night. But um, she says, she swears, I didn't tell them they didn't do that on purpose, but I'm not so sure. Um, But I still remember this meal and shoveling down all these mushrooms just to impress her and her family. Another meal a couple years ago, one of the best meals I've ever had was here, uh, our Christmas party. When we had introduced and told people what to bring, I encouraged everyone to bring mac and cheese as a joke, and a ton of people did. This was the best meal I've ever had because I went last and I had 10 different kinds of mac and cheese on my plate. That's the only thing I ate that night. These meals are memorable. And there's these special moments that you can just picture where you sat, what it was like, who, who made the meal, who was the company. That's why I think this story is one of the stories that stands out in the Gospels. Uh, until the final week that we get to of Jesus' life, this is the only story that's found in all four Gospels is the one we're going to hit on this morning. And it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This story, if we're, we're going through the book of Mark, and we've made it to Mark chapter 6, and so if you have your Bibles, open it to there, and that's where we're going to dive into the story, and there's a lot of neat things about this story. There's symbolism that you can read into it at the end, and many of you guys know the story, so I'm not going to, it's not a spoiler, spoiler alert, because I assume many of you already know that they eat and they gather 12 baskets. There's symbolism of the 12 disciples or the 12 tribes of Israel. There's the symbolism of the, the messianic banquet, there's the, the symbolism of that this bread was just provided by God himself at the meal, just like manna was provided by God when they wandered the desert. 
There's a symbolism of the fish in, in early Christian art. There's so much that we could read into it, but let's not read into those but in myths. This is about Jesus. The whole book, Mark, the whole book, the Bible, is about Jesus, the Messiah that is to come and to take away our sins. This promise of the Messiah. And so this story, let's not venture too far into the details of all the other parts and miss. Jesus is the one providing this meal. And so we get to this story, and if you remember from last week or you've read through Mark, there's a contrast. We just had a banquet. This was a feast by Herod, King Herod, and he threw this party for himself, and it was, there was drunkenness, and there was exotic dancing, and there was murder. And now we have a meal provided by the true king, the king of kings, that provides love and compassion and care and provides for all the people. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark contrasts these two meals right next to each other. And so we jump into the passage, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. If you remember from last week, Jesus had sent out the apostles, and and they went out in two-by-twos, and they were able to go and teach, and they were able to rid the people of impure spirits. They were able to do healings. And he sends them out, and while he sends them out, he gets word from John the Baptist's disciples. They come and they say, John's dead. And they relay this story about Herod's uh, drunken birthday party and how Herod has John the Baptist murdered. And then, so we hear this story, and then the disciples come back, and they say, Jesus, guess what we did? Let me tell you about what I did. Let me tell you about this. These people, they gave their life to you. Everyone's excited. And they come, and, and they come and tell Jesus. And my guess would be as they come, they're in this village, and the village says, Let me, can you tell us where Jesus is? They said, we're headed to him right now. Come with us. And so this group comes with a group from this village, and these disciples come with a group from that village, and this village and this village, and people are gathering. There's this great crowd around Jesus. There's already people following him. There's already a strong following. People are around him wanting to see what he does, wanting to be healed, wanting to hear his words. Wanting to receive forgiveness. And so this crowd is already significant. But now, now that words got out and the, the disciples are bringing back villages after villages, now John's people, John the Baptist's followers are turning to Jesus. And so there's a whole nother crowd that's come and the masses have gathered around him. And they were huge. It says, then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he knows they've worked hard. They're tired. They've been out doing this ministry, and they come back. They're emotionally exhausted. They had the highs of seeing the great work they did and the lows of hearing about John and about his death. And so Jesus sees this, and he, and he wants to give them rest. And he, he says, let's go, let's get away, because the crowds are all around him. They're, they're numbering of thousands around him. And it says, so they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. They needed to recoup. They needed to rest. But, as often goes the stories with Jesus, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot uh, all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he began teaching them many things. Imagine you were there. If you will, if you can try to put yourself in this story. You're one of the crowd that's around Jesus, and you hear that he's leaving, and he gets in the boat with the disciples, and they go offshore a little bit, and you see he's not going across the lake, but just down down the shore. And everyone can see his sail, and the crowd starts saying, well, well, let's go too. Let's follow him. And so the crowd, everyone around you, begins to walk down the shore, and they're just watching Jesus' boat, and they're saying, we're going to catch him, we're going to catch him, and you're caught up in the excitement, and you begin to walk with him. And you enter a little village, and everyone there wants to know, what's the parade going on? And, and so they all go, and they go, and, and now we finally get to this crowd is even bigger. And I believe Jesus looks over and just sees them. That's where he says he has compassion on them. They need rest. The disciples need to eat. Jesus needs rest, and he needs to eat. But, but he cares so much for the people that he gives orders for the boat to come back on the shore and he get, meets the crowd, and he begins to teach. I'm sure he begins to heal. I'm sure he begins to interact with the crowd. And, and at this time, it says, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It's three to five in the afternoon, and, and you got this crowd of thousands in the middle of nowhere. No one was expecting to, to follow Jesus all the way down here this day, so they didn't bring their food with them. And there's no restaurants. A food truck would make a killing here, but there's not a food truck even. And so Jesus' response is, but he answered, you give them something to eat. He said to them that, they said to him, that it would take more than a half a year's wage, and we are to get, go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to something to eat. You just look at that and say, haven't they got this yet? Jesus has done so many miracles, and they're caught up in finances. And sometimes that's a, a reminder for us. When we get caught up in finances, God can work there too and provide there too. It says, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? He said, he asked, go and see. So the 12 go out. And they go and try to gather, and they ask the crowds, and they say, you got any food? You got any food? Hey, you back there, did you bring anything with you? And the, the crowds will say, no, I don't got anything. I wasn't planning on this, but, but I'm hungry. And, and so they're, they're asking everyone, does anyone have food? And finally, one little boy, a boy after my own heart, he comes with a snack, and he, he's like, I got something. And he gives one of the disciples his bag and says, when they found out, they said, oh, five, five loaves and two fishes. These are small barley loaves, probably about four inches in diameter. And some relish fish, dried fish, not, not very much. Definitely barely enough to feed a boy, let alone this whole crowd. But then Jesus. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And I love this illustration of the green grass. It's very specific. You see this is Peter sharing the story to Mark to get the details. It's green. It's, it's springtime. And the word here when it talks about groups is even little garden pods would be the word that it would look. And so you just picture that Jesus sees the people as a garden of faces. And they're out and he says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to the heaven, he gave thanks 
and broke the loaves. This was typical of the head of the household. Uh, he, he takes the bread and he, he, he blesses the what would be in your house. Now he blesses the thousands that are there. And they all are looking to him to care for them. And Jesus does. Says that they go and distribute the food. And it's interesting, even though this is recorded in all four Gospels, we don't know how it happened. It doesn't give any details. It's just a mystery, maybe one of those questions that we'll get to ask sometime in heaven. But we know that Jesus did it. And they all eat. It says... uh, Taking the five boys, um, there we go. Uh, I don't want to miss this first because it's important. They all ate, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken fish, uh, broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the number of men. The women and children weren't even counted. There's probably 15,000 people there. And they all ate and were satisfied. You've probably heard this story if you grew up in church. You're familiar with this one. And there's many different illustrations, many different lessons we can take from this. We we can first take from the disciples, right? That the disciples see a problem and they look to the world's answers. It would take half a year's wage to be able to, to feed all these people. Instead of looking to God's answers. That the Son of God, the Messiah, is right there with him. Surely he has a plan. Instead of turning to God, they turn to what seems logical to them. They turn to the world's answers. Uh, several years back, we found out that uh, as a church, we, uh, there was a discrepancy, a, a problem when we purchased this land, and we owed the back taxes on the land. Taxes before we even had the property. And it was, since it was now under Discovery's name, we were responsible for it, and the city of Bristol was coming after us for over $100,000. We didn't have $100,000, and, and we didn't know what to do, and so as a leadership, elders, operations team, staff, we were just praying and trying to figure this out. And I remember talking in all these meetings, what, what do we do? And we're praying, God, give us wisdom. Do we take out a loan? Do we uh, go after the broker? Do we, do we sell a kidney? What do we do to be able to, to cover this? And we were praying this. And, and every meeting, every day for a couple months, just prayed, God, give us wisdom on what we need to do. We got a phone call a few months later that said, hey, you're not going to believe this. But we went to the city records and and they say your taxes are gone. They said that there was a mistake in the filing. We don't know what happened, but you don't owe these back taxes. So we don't know if it was a mistake at the beginning that we never owed it, or if there was a mistake happened that wiped it off the books. But God took care of it. And the lesson I got from that was I was praying so earnestly for all these different ways that we came up with in the, uh, in the meetings. And God would point out, let us know which way we need to go to fix the problem. And instead, God took care of it in a completely different way. I never prayed for a mistake to happen to wipe it out. Instead of praying, God, you give us wisdom. You provide. I was trying to pray, God, which one of these ideas... The disciples are trying to say, God, how are we supposed to do this? Jesus, how would we do this? It's going to cost so much. Instead of saying, Jesus, you tell us how to do it. 
So this is a lesson we can learn from the disciples. When we, when we watch, we could also learn from the little boy, right? Of course we can see he gave what he had. Even though it was little in the hands of Jesus, it fed thousands. What we have to give, while we might think it's little, a little time, a little finances, a little, uh, little resources, uh, a little devotion, a little faith, God could do amazing things with it. Are we willing to give even if we think it's too small? And give it, see what Jesus can do in his hands. But this morning, I also wanted to look at someone else in the story. The crowd. The crowd is wanting to be with Jesus. We talked about that you're in this crowd and, and you get caught up and you end up traveling with them and, and you're there at the shore when Jesus arrives. And, and I want to ask you, Think for a second, why are you in that crowd? Why do you want to pursue Jesus? Why are you on that hillside? Why are you, maybe you here this morning? Why do you want to be with Jesus? Maybe it's because you're skeptical and you're trying to figure out if this Jesus is, is real and, and you're following with the crowd because you want to see him perform a miracle. You want to see him do something or hear his teaching. Maybe you have questions that, that you need to find answers from Jesus. Maybe you're falling because you're lost or hurting or sick and you're hoping to meet Jesus and find some healing, find some restoration. Maybe you're following Jesus because you need answers and you know that Jesus has them. Maybe you're with that crowd pursuing Jesus because you just need forgiveness and you know Jesus will forgive Maybe, maybe you're just excited to follow Jesus because you love him. And you just want to be there with him as much as you can. And whenever he gets off that boat and into the shore, you want to be there and you want to be close to him. And you want to be with Jesus. I don't know why it is that you might be following him in this crowd. But I want you to take a second and think about that. Why would you be following Jesus in the crowd? And as you think about that, now look at that verse we went over, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. It begins, he saw them. This crowd is there, you are there. And for whatever reason you are pursuing Jesus, let it not be lost that he sees you, that he sees you there. And had compassion on them. He cared. His heart goes out for them. He sees that they're longing to be with Jesus. He sees that they just love him that much. Or they need the healing. They need the forgiveness. They need answers. They're confused. Whatever it is, he has compassion. And he wants to be there for them. And he pulls over to the shore. And he connects with them. He sees that they're sheep without a shepherd. He sees that the people, you and me, Need someone to love us, to lead us, to guide us, to care for us, to be the great shepherd, to be the Messiah, to sacrifice for us. And it says he teaches them many great things. 
And this is uh, what he wants to do is not just be there, but he wants to teach them. He wants to, to see them grow in their faith. This is uh, his desire for us, that he sees us, he loves us, he has compassion on us, that he's our, our shepherd, he's our savior, our Messiah, and he wants us to grow and have a relationship with him, to be there with him, to be together with him, each one of us is in this story. And I love this. What does he do for each one of them? He feeds them. I think there's a reason the story stood out to all four gospel writers to include this because it's a story of this Jesus that just healed, healed a little girl a couple of weeks ago. Jesus that has restored a crippled man. Jesus that calmed a storm is the same Jesus that cares enough about each one of us and enough about the crowd that he says that they're hungry. Feed him dinner. He has everyone sit down, blesses the food, and, and he feeds every one of us. He cares about the details in our life. Even a meal. Even dinner on a grassy hill. Could have sent him away, but instead, he provides even in the details. So we have that story, and as we said, Mark, his writing styles is just quick, and he immediately, and he tells us another story, and we'll just kind of briefly look at it, but it connects so well with this one. And the story, the passage continues, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to, to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He sends the disciples, he knows they're weary, he knows they're hungry, he says, you guys just go. Head on over to Bethesda. Maybe you'll be able to get something to eat. You'll, you'll be able to make it. You guys go. I'll take care of the crowd. And so the disciples go on ahead, and he stays with the crowd. And, and I'm sure he, he teaches more. He heals more, and he sends them all home. And then he goes and prays. Remember where Jesus is. It's been a long, emotional day. And he comes to the Father in prayer. It makes sense just to go get a rest. It makes sense to go get dinner himself, but instead he makes it a priority to pray. He's tired, but he comes to Jesus. To, he comes to God in prayer. He's worn out, but he comes to God in prayer. He's joyful over the stories of the disciples and over this feeding, and he comes to God in prayer. He's brokenhearted over the report of John's death, and he comes to God in prayer. He comes to God in prayer. And so it says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. So it's the middle of the night. John tells us, uh, the book of John tells us about 3 a.m., and the disciples are tired. They're rowing through the night, and Jesus is praying. A storm has come, and there's great wind, and, and they're struggling. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass past them. This little verse seems weird, right? <laughs> like, they're in this boat struggling, and Jesus is just going to walk on by as if he's headed to Bethesda to get there first. And, and you wonder, like, why would he pass them by? It, was that just a mis miscommunication when Peter tells us to Mark that, that Mark, Peter thought that he was just passing by, but he was headed there? It, it was it that the, the path just hadn't met yet? I think there might be a reference to what we see God do in Exodus 33, verse 18, and then 20 through 23, it says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. 
But he said, you cannot see my face. God says this, you cannot see my face. No one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes, I will put you in a cliff of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. This is God. Let us not forget who this is walking on the water. This is what we've seen, that God is going to pass by. Moses, and here God is coming upon the disciples. And they cry out to him because they're terrified, right? They see someone walking. It says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought that he was a ghost. They cried out because they, were all, they, they all saw him and were terrified. Of course you would think it's a ghost or something mysterious in the middle of a storm, 3 a.m., and someone's walking by you on the lake. And immediately he spoke to them, said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That little section, it is I, could be translated, I am. If you remember from Exodus, when Moses says, who am I going to say is sending me? God reveals his name, I am who I am. Jesus is saying, take courage, I am. God is here, don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Can you picture the story? It connects great with the feeding. Mark even connects it there at the end. Because these guys are in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm, struggling to, the, to, in, to fight the wind. They can't see Jesus. But Jesus is on the mountainside, and he sees them all along. In the middle of our storms, our struggles. In those moments where we feel like we're just not going to make it. In those moments when we feel like we can't see Jesus. To know Jesus is with us. He's watching us. He's right there by our side. He sees us like he sees that crowd. He sees the disciples in the lake. He sees you and me and he has compassion on them. He loves on them. He calms the storm. He feeds the crowd. He cares for us. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus did on the cross. When he was willing to take our sin and our punishment of death and our sins nailed him to the cross, he saw us. He saw the crowd that day. He saw the future. He saw you and me. And he had compassion on them because he saw the people you and I, as sheep without a shepherd. And he was willing to take that and to die on the cross for us and to raise again, to conquer death so that we may be freed of this, this sin and punishment, that we may, this eternal destination for hell would be, would be removed and we would have eternity with God in heaven. He had compassion on us. He saw us. Like that crowd, like those disciples, you and me. He sees us enough to take away our sin. He sees us enough to care for the details in our life, like providing dinner. Do you believe? It's all Jesus asked for us. And to receive the salvation is to believe in his death and his victory over death. 
as Holden has professed today, he believes. And it's a beautiful thing to celebrate this great moment that Holden's eternity in heaven is secure. That Jesus is going to care for Holden. Every meal, every detail, Jesus will never stop watching Holden as he never stops watching any of us. But Holden believes and will accept that and will have salvation. This morning, you should have your little communion cup. If you didn't, in a second, uh, go grab it. But why don't you pull that out? And I come back to one final verse that we already read. Jesus has broke the bread, and, and he looked up, and he gave a blessing of thanksgiving, and then he begins to pass it out. And everyone receives uh, the bread and the fish, and, and it's multiplied, and everyone gets their food, and they have a joyous meal, I'm sure. And verse 42 says, they all ate and were satisfied. This morning, let us be satisfied with Jesus. The one that sees us in the midst of our storm, the one that sees us on the shore and has compassion on us, let us be satisfied with Jesus. But this time of communion, this, this reminder of his sacrifice on the cross, be a reminder that he has done it all. Let us be satisfied in him. Nothing else will do. So often we look to, uh, to relationships, we look to our spouse, to a boyfriend, girlfriend. So often we look to, to finances, so often we look to finding our worth in our work, finding our worth in our kids, so often we look to, to, to addictions, so often we look to materialistic things, so often we look everywhere else, nothing else will do but Jesus. Let us turn to him this morning and be satisfied. This morning, the worship team is going to sing a song and, and feel free to, to take communion whenever you want. And then just receive this song. Listen to these words. If you feel like standing, do. If you feel like sitting, stay there. If you feel like kneeling, do that. But remind, be reminded that all they all ate and were satisfied. This is what Jesus will do for us. If you'll pray with me. God, we thank you for all you've done. God, we just pray that this morning, that if there's anything we take away from this morning, it'll just be encouragement, encouragement from a baptism of that moment when we were baptized, of that moment when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, and God, that we would be reminded of the joy of that. And God, as we take communion this morning, let us be reminded that you see us. If we're struggling, if we're hurting, if we're full of joy, wherever we're at this morning, you see us. You see us on the shore and you have compassion for us. You see us in the storm and you come to us and you calm the waves. You see us. And God, this morning, let us be satisfied in you. Because Lord, nothing else will do. In your name, amen.